Listeners, welcome to this new episode of the Thor's Hermes podcast, coming to you on April 14, 2019. My name is Rudolf and I am your host. For those of you who follow this podcast regularly and who have heard the news announcement we made a week ago, you already know that today this is the first out of three episodes coming to you in rather short intervals and that those three episodes are going to be interview only. This means that in this episode you will have just the extensive interview with our guests, but no listener feedback, news, book reviews and no music other than the intro and outro music. Therefore, the interview will also be all in one piece no music break in the middle today. Also, this is the first episode that we present on YouTube as well. And for those of you regulars listening to us on YouTube today, don't be surprised that the intro and outro music here is different from what you are used to and different from the regular podcast version. This is just to make sure that YouTube does not have any problems with us here. Wendy Rule has of course given me consent to use her music in the podcast, but it is technically a bit difficult to let YouTube know about this. Otherwise, you can listen to this episode on all major podcast outlets as usual. If you want to give us feedback, please go to our website www.thoughtshermes.com that is T H O T H E rmes.com and leave a voice message or a written one through the contact form. You can also send an email via info at thoshermes.com and of course there is always Facebook or Twitter where we can also be found. Looking forward to hearing from you. Please also subscribe to the newsletter on the website. It is free, of course, but you will be informed about new episodes first off. Our interview guests today are a couple. We are very happy to welcome Tara Love Maguire and Christopher Orapello. They have recently published a very well-received book together, Besom, Stang and Sword. And in our talk, we are, of course, speaking mainly about their book, but also about what brought them to create Black Tree, about Wicca and traditional witchcraft, 
and about other topics out of the occult and pagan community. It was very well-spirited humorous talk. I hope you're going to enjoy. All the details about the book, where to get it, their websites and also the podcast they are running, you will find them on the show notes with this episode on our website. Now, welcome with me today's guests, Tara Love Maguire and Christopher Orapello. Here comes the interview. I'm very happy to welcome today on the Thought Hermes podcast two people I have wanted to interview for quite some time, Tara Love Maguire and Christopher Orapello, which I will have them go by the names of Tara and Chris. So hello, Tara. Hello, Chris. Welcome on the show. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having us. Good to have you here. So um, this has been a long wish of mine, Chris. Um, sorry, Tara, if I say that about Chris. <laughs> That's uh, okay. Uh, uh, Chris was one of the first podcasters uh, I was listening to when I started listening to podcasts of to, of, uh, of occult and and esoteric themes. Mm-hmm. He was one of two or three selected ones I was really a regular of. Thank <laughs> you, Chris, for that time um, that you helped me into this world, and I'm happy to have you on my show now after Aww. so many years. Uh, thank you. The honor's mine. So it's always nice to uh, inspire new new shows because I got inspired goes. by shows yeah. and now, yeah. you know, kind of passing that on to other people like yourself. So yeah. that's really nice to hear. That's great. And your show is called Down at the Crossroads and we'll maybe come to that in a minute. Yes. Um, but um, first of all, I would like to ask the two of you to introduce yourselves to uh, tell us a bit about your life in the occult, how you how you came all into being what you're doing now and what brought you there? Uh, So I will go first. I have been a practicing witch for over 30 years. Uh, I started uh, quite young. I was um, largely unsupervised as a child and my family moved around a lot. So I also didn't have the ability to make very many friends and I had to uh, left my own devices most of the time. So we always lived near places that had woods and forests. Um, I, I grew up in New Jersey, in southern New Jersey, and there's lots of forestry here, um, particularly in the southern part. But And I would go there and wander around and get into the trouble that kids get into. Um, but I also was very much an avid reader, and I would read everything and anything that I could get my hands on, regardless of age level. And I started finding books about fairy tales. And I, one of my parents, I don't remember which one now, had bought me this edition of um, Grimm's Fairy Tales that was written more from a darker, like it was supposed to be like a, a more authentic of the of the fairy tale, like less Disney fi original version. Yeah. 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 And they they gave me a copy of that, not realizing what it really was. <laughs> um and that kind of sparked a whole thing. And I got very into different um mythologies of other cultures and reading about that. And then probably around like ten or eleven, like actively started doing things that I referred to as spells, uh, witchcraft and stuff like that, like making up my own little rituals out in the woods and, and doing things in in that nature. Um, and just as I got older, 
kind of found my own way and was piecing it together from the literature that I would read um, and just the experiences that I was having out in the woods by myself. I got very into trance work and scrying and, and things like that. Um, when I got more so into my 20s, I discovered uh, chaos magic. <laughs> um, <laughs> didn't we all do it? <laughs> didn't we all? <laughs> um, and from chaos magic, I springboarded strangely into Haitian voodoo. Uh, and I practiced right. Haitian voodoo for quite some time. It was around 13 years of being heavily immersed in that. But I was always very against working with other people. I didn't want to join a house or, or anything like that. So uh, after uh, uh, the length of time that I was doing it, I started to feel kind of weird because it felt appropriative um, and just not right for this little white girl from New Jersey to be practicing this religion um, that was based in the oppression of people of color. So I stopped calling myself a Vudasan. Um, I still have my personal relationship with certain Loa who were in Haitian voodoo, but I don't refer to myself as a, as a Vudasant anymore. Um, and around the same time as that was going on, Chris was going through his own thing, which he'll describe in his, in his, uh, uh, origin story. <laughs> um, and he, he and I have been together for over 17 years at this point. Um, we met in 2001. <laughs> and we never practiced together until probably about five years ago. And that really? was when we, yeah, that was when we started um, writing Black Tree. Because um, mm. he, he was going through his thing, I went through my thing, and then we decided, here's a novel concept. How about we come up with our own thing between the two of us and see mm -hmm. where that goes? Um, and I very much had like my swamp witch kind of traditional witchcraft thing going on, uh, hoodoo and root work and like dirty witchcraft. And he had the stuff from his end, like more ceremonial and like a Gardnerian Wicca at one point. Um, and we started actually practicing together and it works really well for the both of us. And it turned into this whole other thing. Um, so yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Well, uh, your intro raised a couple of questions in me, which I will mm -hmm. put forward a bit later on. Maybe let's maybe sure. let's have Chris do his intro first, and a part of the answers might be in there already. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, Chris, what about yourselves? Uh, I've been on my my path for about twenty seven years now. I can't believe that. I always kind of clock it around age fourteen. I mean, you know, that's kind of when I found the New Age section at the bookstore, uh, and I came across you know the magic books and the spell books and everything. So that's kind of where it started. I can't say I was like a continuous practitioner, but I always kind of gauge my start point at age fourteen because that's when I kind of entered this world mm -hmm. that has resulted in the show and our book and my staff statues and all that kind of stuff. So, right. Um, but I mean, growing up, I was always interested in the paranormal, uh, the unseen world. I was always fascinated by anything that was occult and even perhaps seemingly satanic. It, you know, it was all very appealing to me as a young adolescent, even earlier than that. So I would watch whatever shows and documentaries that would show up on TV. I loved Halloween as a kid. That was my favorite holiday. Although I liked Christmas cause I got stuff, but <laughs> Halloween was always like my favorite. Um, and I just, I've kind of meandered, you know, along my 
path over those 27 years, you know, very much into, uh, I got swept up in, you know, the eclectic Wicca, solitary Wicca, you know, thing, because the, the movie, The Craft, was mm-hmm. a big catalyst in, in sparking my interest again, because The Craft came out in 96. I was at the end of, uh, I was out of high school at that point. So, you know, I started when I was 14, but then uh, The Craft came out and really kind of reignited my interest and kind of showed me that there's maybe an aspect to which this witchcraft thing that maybe I should look back on and revisit and, and re-explore. Because uh, at the time I had friends who were all getting into various occult things and, and Wicca and what have you. So I knew people who were practicing Wicca and it just started becoming more and more a part of my life. It was on your radar. It was on my radar. And right. I just started, I started engaging more and more with it. And as a result of that, you know, I got into cast magic, got into a little left-hand path stuff, <laughs> had an interest in, you know, the golden dawn and that kind of, in that system, uh, Alistair Crowley and, and Thelema. I even yeah. went and became a Freemason and, you know, so it's just like one thing led to another and, Mm-hmm. And like Tara was saying that we, we got together in 2001, but I never practiced yeah. Yeah. as a couple. And we kind of just respected that. We didn't want to force anything. We and had our we own just things. Under, what's we, that? We had our own things. Yeah, we had our own things yeah. and we recognized that. So, sure. um, And then, you know, about four or five years ago, we, we decided to see what would happen if we got rid of everything and then brought back the stuff that made sense to us and... Mm-hmm. Long story short, that's how Black Tree came about, mm-hmm. and yeah. that's how our book came about too, which was, you know, in in a sense, very accidental because yeah. <laughs> we weren't intending on writing a book. Although I had an idea for a book, and then we got approached by Wiser. Yeah, yeah. And one thing led to another, and now we're published authors. I mean, for, <laughs> oh, for, that, that's great. Well, I remember when I first contacted you, I didn't know about the book yet. Mm. And you said, well, it's not a good time to do the interview now because uh, we are just writing uh, a book. And I, yeah. I said, oh, great. Uh, I was surprised because I didn't expect it, to be honest. But, uh, <laughs> um, um, I'm glad you did, and we mm. come to that in a moment. Mm. Um, but, you know, now I find understand why... North America uh, is so much ahead of Europe now regarding the whole occult and witchcraft stuff because you have Halloween. Now I understand it. <laughs> you at least as kids already you are confronted with. That. Yeah, we're so immersed in it just from Absolutely. such a young age. Exactly. No, but seriously, did any of your parents have any connection to that world, or did you both find it by yourself? Well, my grandmother was a witch. No, you're so full. I know, I'm so full. I'm joking. Um, no, my my parents were pretty, um, I guess, open minded. They didn't care. I had a a circle laid out in my bedroom on the floor in in masking tape, and I had an altar in the middle of the room. And okay, they didn't care. Like, they were just like, oh, okay, call, sweetie. Didn't call for a psychiatrist. No, no, because I mean, I mean, I guess I'm extremely fortunate in that regard. But I didn't yeah, get in probably. trouble as a kid. I I had you know, average to above average grades in school, there was very, very little complaining they could do about me as a, right. as a, a child, you right. know? So they just, yeah. yeah, thank you. I, I, I thank, yeah, I'm very lucky. So I guess they figured, eh, <laughs> eight out of 10, ain't bad or whatever. You know? <laughs> do you, um, um, Tara, neither? No, um, there, there was never anything like that in my family at all. Um, my family wasn't even particularly very religious and I wasn't really brought up as anything. Like I was christened Lutheran, um, because that apparently was just something that you did in the seventies mm-hmm. when, when I was born. Um, 
but I was never like made to go to church or anything like that. And, and, and I, I, that causes a lot of like different conflicts and feelings when I talk to other people who talk about how, you know, they had to have like this big coming out of being some type of practitioner with their family. And like my family never cared. Um, but my family not caring was in a different way than Chris's family not caring. Like mm. mine very much was not caring just based on neglect. Um, and as long as I wasn't on fire, my mom kind of figured everything was cool. Because uh, yeah. <laughs> I had two older brothers who were pretty bad. Um, so there were a lot of complaints <laughs> in so, so my family. Yeah. Yeah. I had, my mom knew I was weird. Uh, she knew like the kind of stuff I was into and she never really paid it any mind. Um, she got interested every once in a while, particularly with like, tarot cards when i got into that she got into that um but, but beyond that but never bring a ouija board in but the never house. bring a ouija board in the house that, <laughs> that was the one thing that like her and her friends would get together on like a saturday night and drink some cheap white wine and play with the ouija right. board and get right. all freaked out that was right. about as far as it went <laughs> but i'm sure when you were four years old you thought they were called tara cards tara cards <laughs> yes <laughs> <laughs> right. And um, but still, I mean, now, not only from your experience, you got your own. But when you say, Chris, uh, at age 14, you walked into a bookstore and found the new age section. Um, I mean, in order to be able to do that, you have to walk into the bookstore first, you know. Yeah. And do you have the impression that there was something that drove you there or was it really pure coincidence because how many 14 year olds nowadays walk into a bookstore anyway you know uh i was always fascinated by books right um i, I mean oddly enough when i was younger i always took the same book out of the library which was it's halloween <laughs> i don't remember the author's name but it was full of illustrations of ghosts and goblins and and devil-like creatures and it was like a book of like poems and haunted houses and things but i was always fascinated by books and I, yeah, I, 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 yeah, it's an interesting statement. You know, you have to first walk into that bookstore to stumble upon the section. Right. Um, it was just something I was always drawn to. I, I can't even say I was a heavy reader necessarily. I just, I liked books for some reason. I just right. liked books right. and, and I stumbled upon that section at one day and I couldn't believe it. You know, I, that I was like, wait, magic is real. <laughs> Spells are real. What? And I was fascinated from that day forward. Good, good. Um, I have one more question to Tara. Um, you were mentioning that period when you were in the Haitian hoodoo uh, mm -hmm. stuff. And maybe that question comes too early because it, it's more relates to what I read in your book. But mm -hmm. um, for the two of you, I think your practice nowadays is very much related to your own environment, to your own um, experience. If I get right what I read in mm -hmm. one of the earlier chapters mm -hmm. uh, of, of the book. And... That that is exactly the opposite in a way, and yeah. it's a question I, I often ask my guests because uh, I, well, especially nowadays, you often hear that question of, well, do you call it cultural appropriation or? But I yeah. hate that expression anyway. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, can you experience a tradition that does not come out of your own backyard? Um, what, what's your take on that? I think you can because there there are so many people in different traditions mm. who weren't born to that world. Um, right. Like we're we're friends with a few people in um, uh, Urglawe, mm. uh, 
and very much like a heathen type of tradition. And there's there are women of color in there. There's uh, a, a few H- Hispanic men um, that I've met who've been into that, and they are absolutely not, you know, a Viking blood type yeah, of situations. Yeah, yeah. And I think the difference between the people like that and then the situation that I was in uh, with Haitian voodoo is that those people are embracing the totality of the tradition they're yeah. they're going all in i being me and being the weird little introvert that i can that i can really be i didn't want to be with a whole lot of people um or any people for that matter i wanted to practice completely alone and haitian voodoo is not that's not what it's about it's it's a community um so for me finding what i found in it was good because I I brought a lot of things into my heart from it, but I was still on the outside. Like I I had no intentions of ever becoming initiated into, into the tradition or becoming a mambo or anything like that. And a lot of other people, if they're going all in and they're coming at it with a full sincerity and they're going to practice that tradition within the bounds of the tradition and not try to change it in their image, I think is not appropriative um and is very much a good thing but for someone to do what i was doing uh that that's where it gets a little hinky um i mean you were kind of led i was i there was something about it that drew you to well part part of the problem it wasn't just who i choose you (laughs) right no it was was, i mean i was definitely very led to there and then i had a decision to make and i had a choice to make and I didn't make the choice that the spirits wanted me to make. Yeah, um, yeah. They wanted me to be initiated and they wanted me to be fully involved in the religion. And I wanted no parts of that. So there was a lot of struggle mm-hmm. between the spirits and I for a while. Um, and they've since settled down about it. Um, but it, it, I, I made that choice. It wasn't like Correct. I was just like, oh, I'm going to pick and choose from this. It was I'm getting led into this into this religion into this tradition and i don't i don't want this this is too much responsibility it's too much for me and what do you do if you're being drawn to something if something is like calling to you and you feel like you're getting signs or or you're you're seeing these weird synchronicities and correlations that are happening what do you do about what do you do you know i mean i'm just glad that i follow your path or do you yeah i'm glad that i figured it out and then i had the self-awareness to be like this isn't for me and i'm not going to keep doing this and i'm not going to keep calling myself this thing um and i i'm also very public about saying those things as well because i think they need to be said so that people Definitely. on both sides of the fence hear that um yeah. and yeah. A, i've been reached a few people have reached out and expressed um very very kind things to me um when they've heard me saying things like that like they very much appreciate that there's a voice like that out in the world who's saying that this is a thing that can happen i made a bad choice but ultimately changed that you know but here here is this whole it's it's a complex uh complex issue it's not a black and white yeah yeah Yeah. i I like to ask the question because because i think it's an important one and somehow i also feel um touched by it in a way because if the Americans wouldn't have taken up all those European traditions mm-hmm. in a more I'm more in the hermetis in the hermetic world, I'm more in the ceremonial magic world. Mm-hmm. Um, so if that tradition wouldn't have been kept up by people 
in the Anglo-Saxon world, where would we be today? It wouldn't even exist right. anymore, you see. Right, it would be dead. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And what you were saying, Tara, um, I had uh, Tracy Rowland on this show lately. Okay. And she she has worked on Santa Muerte, as you might mm. know. Mm -hmm. um, and she was saying a bit the same thing, that if you are called by the Spirit, that's also part of it. It's not just you who pick up a certain tradition. It's also them who choose you. Yeah. I don't know if you agree on that, but that's that was also her take. And I... It reminds me a bit of what you were just saying. Mm -hmm. I, I absolutely agree with that. If if a spirit calls you, then that spirit is calling you for a reason. And now it's right. your job to figure out why they're calling you. Which is a perfect uh, transition to, to, to the book. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, well, actually, uh, as we have uh, mentioned just before, uh, one of the reasons why we're meeting here today is your book that has come out, I believe, in December. If December 1st, yeah. yes. December 1st, right, which is called Besom, Stang and Sword, right? And it has been published by Weiser, as we've heard. And well, my first question on the book was, why this book? A little bit, both of you already gave uh, a first hint on that, but maybe let's go a bit back and, and how it all started, because it, must, it was not the book that started it. It was actually you starting to practice together that mm -hmm. started it. So shall we go back yeah. there? And, yeah, we can and, go back to that. And, and start from there. So, mm -hmm. well, leave you, I'll leave you the stage. You <laughs> Well, so we, we we started practicing together in uh, March, April of 2014, roughly yeah. thereabouts. Um, around that time, I had left a coven that I was involved in that was uh, gardenarian based. And because that, that's kind of my background, you know, I, I like the ritual. I like the uh, fancy dancing. I like the fancy dancing and all that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But I'm also interested, I was also interested in possibly what was in regards to witchcraft, for example. And as far as modern practice goes, Gardnerian was like the source of a lot of modern traditions, but then that came from something too. You know, that grew out of Freemasonry and the work of Crowley and the Golden Dawn Somebody, and a lot of 19th yeah. century occultism. So then what was before that kind of thing? And with this emergence of the traditional witch, the, the traditional witchcraft movement in quotes, you know, this interest in trying to not entirely be a reconstruction because we don't entirely know what was going on. We just know there were grimoires. There was a lot of claims. There were people who claimed to be doing certain things. And, you know, we have this vague understanding of like lore and customs and all that. And if you piece it all together, you begin to get some kind of a patchwork quilt of, of a practice. Mm -hmm. And so Tara and I started working together and we decided to just strip everything away. Originally the practice was very, uh, very, very typical of what I knew, you know, so it was a lot of, uh, for you know, calling quarters and yep. uh, an altar in the center of the space. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. uh, <laughs> yeah, yep. She's not very happy. <laughs> and I'm like, the, yeah, yeah, and that thing. <laughs> and that thing, and that thing. Um, but we we're like, well, let's strip this away because after practicing our, pra it, black tree grew out of us going like, say you have an empty count, uh, coffee table, <laughs> It's just completely right. bare, and you put something on that coffee table, and mm -hmm. you think, and then two people stand there and, then, and discuss it. Yeah, and then two people stand there and discuss it, and, and, and go, "Does that work? Does that look good there? Does that work in that place? Like, how does it work in relation to other? Why things? is it in that spot? Why is it in that spot? Mm -hmm. And that's pretty much a metaphor for how Black Tree grew. Yeah, 
Yeah. So like we cleared <laughs> off the coffee table and we began replacing things and re and adding things and moving things around based on what we wanted, based upon what we wanted, but also we started to see things revealing themselves yeah. as we yeah, replaced also based, based on the results, basically also. Yeah. Or, or, yeah. Or, yeah. Or, or, or based on your input. What was what what was the deciding factors? Well, sometimes because Chris and I have very different personalities and tastes, um, <laughs> even after having been together as long as we have, and we're both st very strong, strong-minded. It is, yeah. <laughs> uh, and we're both very strong-willed, and we're both very. Yeah. We have lots of opinions. Um, mm -hmm. So whenever we got to a point where it was a disagreement that could not be broached. It was almost like it was like a, a the deciding factor was okay. Well, let's ask the ancestors, or let's do a journey, and, and we'll get the information that way. Um, and then we we would go and we would do that, and then the two of us would compare our notes, yeah, and then we would piece together, you know, what what direction we should be going in from there. And then sometimes we would talk to the ancestors again, or we would divine or scry, yeah. or we were finding all these different ways. But another thing that went into the creation of Black Tree, and we weren't setting out to create anything; it just kind of happened. But it was this realization when I when I was in the Gardnering Coven, I had to do a report on Hermes. Hermes the Hunter, or not Hermes, Hermes. Hern the Hunter, Hermes, Hermes. Hern. <laughs> Hern the Hunter. Yeah. And the more I learned about Hern the Hunter being a spirit that haunts a forest in Windsor, the more I realized how similar he was in, in, in concept to the Jersey Devil that haunted a forest in southern, southern New Jersey. And I was like, well, if you have this Hern the Hunter over in the UK who gets elevated to this deity type thing in one tradition – and one people's some people's practice elevate him to that point. Why the hell aren't we looking at what's local to us here? Why are we looking at something all the way across the ocean? Yeah, why are we looking right. at these gods in yeah, these countries yeah, yeah, that yeah. are so that, far away? These gods mm -hmm. from countries mm -hmm. that are so far away, this antiquated worldview from centuries ago, what the hell is going on here and now? And that was mm -hmm. kind of like some of the initiate the uh, initiating concepts that we started to that that started to percolate in our brains mm -hmm. right so we started to look more locally and realize what was around us as opposed to uh, we looked we decided to look at what was around us and more practical and more useful in our immediate area based upon also our backgrounds as practitioners and what we liked and what what felt what felt right honestly because mm -hmm. a lot of personal analysis went into the designing of the black tree system mm -hmm. in, in a sense mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The, the the space the space itself the working space being a big part of that realization process mm -hmm. right and and the name black tree is it just a name you had to invent or did it came come for a particular reason um yes and no <laughs> which it tends to be a lot of the answers that we give with stuff like that <laughs> um if it's A or B, in, it's if it's yes. A or B, the answer is yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, in, in the whole discovery process of all of this, when we were going through these steps of figuring out the tradition, or not, not we weren't even calling it a tradition then, but figuring out what we were doing, mm -hmm. um, and getting involved in, or not getting involved, but um, but being influenced by Peter uh, Peter Patton, um, and then other people like Robert Cochran and his writing and talking about the hex sign and the world tree and all of these things kind of started filtering together and the stang and, the stang. Yeah. and mm -hmm. we were noticing just symbolism that was unveiled, like just unveiling itself 
with all of this. And we, we essentially, there's black tree, one word and black tree, two words, Um, black tree. Yeah. Black tree being the name of the tradition um, and also the name of our specific coven. Um, But black tree, two words we look at as being the axis Monday. It's the world Mm -hmm. tree. Um, and it's, it's in the sign of the, the hex sign. Um, so right, because there is a chapter in your book that's called the black tree. Yeah. Two the black words, tree. Right? Yeah. Right. Right. Um, so we're not talking about that when you mentioned black tree, but okay. yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. And it was kind of like, well, yeah. what do we call the coven? Yeah. And that's, that's spelling the one word versus two word spelling kind of came out of writing for the book Yeah. because that mm-hmm. way it was very easy for the reader to know what to we were referring to. to. Yeah. yeah, sure. Writing. Sure. Sure. Okay. Um, what you were saying just, Chris, about uh, about taking the local approach to make it, to sum it up easily. Um, I'm very fascinated by that idea because, A, I find it rather rare that we read or hear about such kind of approach in, in the whole magical occult world. Mm. And there is another person who I very much like and who who is more into Egyptian and ceremonial magic, so more my part of, of the occult world. Mm-hmm. Um, but she says exactly the same. And that's Josephine McCarthy, who you, I don't know if you know her. Um, yes. Uh, and Josephine, she, she also says the first thing you have to do when you start building up your daily practice is to understand where do you live, what has mm-hmm. happened historically on the ground that you live, what's yeah. the surroundings go and discover. And um, so she says the same, but for more, um, yeah, more more uh, um, ceremonial type of magic, or uh, I hope she won't mind if I name it like that, but it's, mm-hmm. uh, I think that's what could one, one could name it like that. So I find it's very rare, but I think it's very important at the same time. Uh, it, it, Apart from what you were just saying, is there any other inspiration that brought you there or something that you felt sort of that you realized when you did it? Um, well, with with any type of spirit work, I feel you have to know the spirits that are in your immediate vicinity. Mm-hmm. Um, j- just for one, etiquette purposes, because you don't want to just come like trundling into what they're doing and be like, hey, everybody, I'm coming to mess up your good time. Okay. Um, but also like if you're if you're looking to work with spirits to like have it be a mutually beneficial relationship, then for you need to know. Reason, right, right. For respect. Right. And to know where they're coming from and the kinds of things that they like and oh. don't like, because then you can curry favor better with them. And your footprint is much smaller when you're treading in certain places. Yeah. yeah. And when when i was growing up um one of the one of the largest parts of just our our personal practice is the pine barrens in new jersey that chris had mentioned earlier and the the pine barrens is 1.1 million acres of protected pineland reserve in the state of new jersey and mm-hmm. it's very dense and very wild there don't tend to be a whole lot of people who live there although some towns have kind of dug their dug their feet in um and growing up i always either lived near the pine barrens very like very close to the pine barrens or actually in them and because it's such an old forest it has a very definitive uh spirit to it Mm -hmm. the the genus loki there is immense and, and very slow um 
But then at the same time, when I left home, I moved to Philadelphia, which is a moderately sized city and doesn't have a lot of green places, but also still has land spirits. Mm. Um, and I was always very much uh, of a mind of, of paying attention to these types of things in, in the work that I was doing um, before Chris and I started working together. So when we began working together, I brought this to it when we started talking about you know, not connecting with energies from across the ocean or from really far away places. It was about what is the land that you're standing on right now want? Right. You know, like what are the spirits yeah. there? Um, one of the things that Chris had always said was, why are you going to plug the vacuum cleaner in into the wall socket down the street when you have one right here? Mm -hmm. And it's not saying that anybody's line of energy is better than the other. It's just go, go where you're at. That's where you're, that's, that's the power source. That's the power source. Yeah. Um, it's the it's the the best way of doing it. It's the it's the tightest connection. Yeah. And I think we get caught up, at least uh, I can't speak for everybody, but I, I feel that a lot of us get caught up in the idea of the grass is greener on the other side. Mm -hmm. That right. where you're at doesn't matter, where you're at is insignificant. The magical stuff is over there. Yeah. It's right. and where and whether that over there is in someone else's yard or in someone else's country or yeah. in someone else's uh eon yeah. or century. And it's not even about individual culture yeah. either. It's no. about where you're at. Yeah, because no, of sure, which sure. if witchcraft ever existed, sure. it exists in the here and now as much as it ever did. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. why yeah. ignore the here and now? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. so if let's play the game in our minds that if you tomorrow you had to move to Oregon. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so you're in a different in a different place where different spirits are located. Yeah. How would you how would that maybe change your practice or how would you approach that? It would take some time to fit. It would take at least one year to figure out entirely because we yeah. would need to see a cycle like a full 365 cycle yeah. to see what the land did in that time right. period. And we'd have to learn about the local lore if yeah. anything because we've and, always lived on the east coast yeah. and, and deciduous the, forest and meet and, the people there and, yeah. get a, and get a sense of the vibe like taste the culture there yeah in a sense but and, our our lunar calendar would absolutely change yeah sure. um we would, would have your practice change you think yeah because there would be no connection to the jersey devil anymore Mm -hmm. Um, so that would have to be something that would be adjusted and figured out and lots of journey work and ask the ancestors. <laughs> um, we'd have to yeah, definitely sure. touch base. Yeah. I mean, certain components I think could carry over cause uh, sure. like the, the ritual space that we have, which is very adaptable mm -hmm. and it's mm -hmm. not, um, it's not a be all to end all. You have to do it this way kind of thing, but it's yeah. like for those people who like to have a ritual space, here's a layout, mm -hmm. you know, here's something to use. Right. So, but yeah, we would right. definitely have to adapt. I think if we mm -hmm. change, we, it you're, would be, it would just ahead. be natural to, to adapt. It would yeah. just be natural yeah. for that to happen. Yeah. But your, your technique basically would stay the same, but you have to adapt to the reality. So yeah, right? mm -hmm. I think so. Yeah. yeah. The, the yeah. general gist of what we would do would be roughly the same, but just the, what it looked like mm -hmm. would be a little mm -hmm. bit different. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I have a question about Gardner you mentioned before. Uh, in a way, I get the impression that what Gardner did for uh, Wicca and, and traditional witchcraft um, is a bit parallel to what Golden Dawn and other groups like that in the 19th century did to ceremonial magic. Could one compare that? And nowadays, mm -hmm. out of that come new, contemporary, and more 
related uh, um, uh, new traditions because now we have found our own roots again. I think in nineteenth century, the big and and early twentieth century, the big um, the big effort that those people made was to bring to bring that world back into people's reality, yeah. into people's minds. Well, I I don't think. Uh... In my opinion, it, Wicca didn't exist before Gardner. Right. Well, yeah. Like, yeah. yeah so it's yeah. Yeah. he obviously brought witchcraft into the spotlight. He opened that door. He definitely opened that sure. door. Yeah. And I'm not going to sure. rob the man of any of that no. or any of the people no, no, who followed no, him I, or I contributed see what you mean. to the tradition. Yeah. 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 But, but Wicca, as what they were practiced, or witchcraft, as Gardner called it, because they didn't call it Wicca for yeah, quite sure. some time. Sure. Um, but as Gardner was practicing it, like if you know, individual components like if you know freemasonry and if you know solomonic magic uh, you can see how that particular you could dismantle it in your yeah, brain yeah. it just falls i mean not, falls apart in the sense that you recognize that there wasn't a whole lot of originality there in my opinion and i'm saying that yeah. in my opinion because that's going to draw a lot of fire from people but <laughs> there's not a lot of originality in it i think yeah, most yeah. of the originality that is it can be found in wicca comes from dorian valiente yeah. yeah, 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 absolutely. Well, I'm going to be hit by lightning now as well when I say that <laughs> Don has had exactly the same thing. They have they, yes. they, they created something from scratch, basically, mm-hmm. right? But of course, inspired by by old books. But but yes, okay, yeah. Well, now we're both going to die. Uh, <laughs> what, one of, of the things that we've seen a couple of times with the um, the reviews of the book oh, okay, that yeah. always make me laugh when they're just like, oh, and all the Wicca bashing. And I'm like, there's no Wicca bashing Where in the book. Yeah, like we Wicca give it the respect that it's due. And we absolutely, absolutely. say that absolutely. we would never be able to do what we're doing if it wasn't for not, not just Gardner, but like mm-hmm. the eclectic Wicca of the 90s. But, but opened this- up many doors but just because we're using the frames phrase so to be at times doesn't mean we're mock we're, we're taking it from wicca because that just came from freemasonry so right. it's like and even then we we avoid <laughs> yeah. the so to be because i just don't like the phrase um <laughs> but like but like people seem to think that because we are presenting an alternative okay that it means okay. we're bashing the other one no, and no, we're not there's not. there's room in the pool for yeah. everybody yeah, but that, that, that's a bit the spirit of our time to i'm yeah. afraid um yeah. it's not a possibility to to bring things together it's always has to separate things Everybody but that's another another, another matter <laughs> that's a whole other episode <laughs> <laughs> exactly um let's talk about a person if you can um because you mentioned him uh, in that book uh, several times and and you owe him a, a little bit you say um mm-hmm. is robert cochrane and as yes. he is a figure uh, as i I'm, I'm sure most of our listeners don't know much about do you want to say a few phrases about him um sure he is well. His, Robert Cochran is actually not his real name. His real name is Roy Bowers. Right. Um, Born in 1931. 1931. Died in 1966. 66. Mm-hmm. I always very young. Yeah, very young. Yeah, he was very young. He was in the community for. He was a public face, quote unquote, in the community for about three years, and he did nothing but love to bash Gerald Gardner. <laughs> <laughs> um, some people say that he actually coined the term Gardnerian, and it was yeah. meant to be a pejorative. Okay. Um. But he, uh, we don't, we're very inspired by him in the sense of his use of the stang and presenting a very spontaneous and trance-based mm-hmm. and shamanic type of, of witchcraft. Yes. Um, 
And that's always my biggest distinction personally between like Wicca and traditional witchcraft because so many people like to say they're the one in the same and and uh, there's no difference there. I'm like there's there's a plenty difference there and it's a beautiful thing. You mm-hmm. know, like Absolutely. Wicca is very ceremonial. Traditional witchcraft is very shamanic. Mm-hmm. Um, and not saying that Wicca doesn't have shamanic elements in it by any means. And not that traditional witchcraft doesn't have ceremonial. Exactly. But <laughs> at their core, one is very ceremonial and one is very shamanic. Right. And we get that spontaneity from Cochrane. We get the use of the stang from Cochrane. Uh, we get the use of the, the heavier emphasis, emphasis on trance work and less ceremonial work from Cochrane. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of the... Uh, if you watch it, if you were to watch a ritual, you would think it's all the same. But a lot of the ideas that go into it are very different. And that's where I think a lot of the distinction begin to present themselves. Because in the beginning, I didn't know the difference between traditional witchcraft and Wicca. I had to find that out. And I started to realize where those differences were, you know, mm-hmm. through reading about it, through practicing it, through thinking about it and, and analyzing why certain things are done and why there is this thing called a compass. And then in Wicca, there's the casting of the circle and how do they differ. And I had to realize those and what their individual purposes yeah, are. Yeah, and what their yeah. individual purposes are. Mm-hmm. Um, there were some arguments about that when we were putting this together. <laughs> I'm very anti-circle. <laughs> um, but yeah, but Cochran is a you know big big influence um, because he he's like the first person you go to when you're traveling down this path, really. You know, because he's one of the the names like Gerald Gardner and Doreen or Wicca yeah. and Robert Cochran is traditional witchcraft, but, but that's a door I was about ready to say, yeah. cause I get all excited. <laughs> um, Dor- Doreen straddles the line because Doreen yeah, was does. in a coven with Gerald Gardner. And then she was also in a coven with Ro- uh, Robert Cochran. Right. And I feel like her influence, her spirit can be felt still in both of those lines Big time. and her, her voice is still heard. And that's so important to me because she was such uh, a great figure and such an enormous heart and everything that, you know, that she brought she, to both of these things. Yeah. She just, she changed them completely. Oh, totally. And she definitely was, I think, because of who she was being a very important, one of Gardner's like probably biggest uh, important high priestesses, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. who, and she's very grounded. who pretty much like pulled the rug out from under the book of shadows and rewrote <laughs> like half of it and, and gave us great pieces of liturgy, like the, the witch's rune and, and what have you. And the, and the, the charge of the goddess. Yeah, and those she was a wonderful poet on top of it. Um, too. But the fact that she was a gardenerian and was into, and practiced with Cochrane. So she was also part of the clan of Tubal Cain for a period of time. And she was a big advocate for self-initiation too. <laughs> so like you have this person who's this pivotal figure who is putting up these pillars in all these different places that can't be disputed at this point. So like you can't, you know, so it's just like, well, Doreen advocated self-initiation in her work, Witchcraft for Tomorrow. <laughs> so you, can't, you know, like you can't argue these things. The, the mother of modern witchcraft okayed this stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> that's good. That's good. You can register now. That's great. And there are two two topics here which you mentioned uh, now several times, which I have to go on to because I had them also on my list. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, well, let's go into shamanism first because it it is obvious to me when when we, when I read your book and when I think about it on the wall, um, that, that shamanism is at the roots of all that, that that's in there, right? What mm-hmm. you're 
especially the chapter called Hedgewidgery. It's very yes. obvious, of course, mm-hmm. but um, but in in general. So can you can maybe expand on that a little bit? Because, well, um, it's, as you say, it's very different in, in other traditions. And yeah. to me, it seems very to me, it seems a very important route to mm-hmm. all that you can do in witchcraft. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like uh, ha- having a shamanistic uh, bent to your tradition or hedgewitchery in general enables witches to do the things that they need to do. Like I, I, I do a class on hedgewitchery um, and I do another one on poison plants. And one of the things that I always say is that hedgewitchery gives witches the key to flight Um, that's how we do the things we do is going into these trance states and finding this information in whatever places or from whatever entities we are finding it from. But that's how we're, that's how we're making those connections. That's how we're reaching back to the ancestors and getting things like ancestral memory or just ancestral influence. Um, and there's, unfortunately there is an entire, uh, I don't know if I want to call it a tradition, but there's like this entire subsect of paganism that refers to themselves as being shamans. And they're kind of on the same path of that because they use lots of drumming. Um, But that seems to be mostly all they do. And it's mostly for like self-reflective work rather than going to get anything. Um, So that's why we, we tend to say we're shamanistic rather than Right. Um, being sh- uh, shamanism, because mm-hmm. um, the, the distinction I think is is important. Um, but with without having that type of thing in your practice, you're, I think you're still able to practice witchcraft. But are you able to practice it in its fullest depth? Um, because that also it brings into our concept of witchcraft being a sixfold path. Um, where if you take the concept of witchcraft and you distill it down to its barest essence, um, kind of like when you're talking about uh, the, and I I always compare it to this, the periodic chart of the elements, where an element is something that is uh, a substance or um, some type of thing that is one one molecule. And you, you break all of it down to this one molecule, and that is the purest essence of gold that's the purest essence of oxygen of plutonium of whatever Mm. um so with witchcraft you can break that down into six elements you can break it down into six paths where Mm. each of those paths on their own are fine but if you bring them all together that is the core definition of witchcraft um can you name those six paths yeah yeah Hmm? it's a necromancy we'll do them in order i would think oh uh, well you do them in order then. i never know the order i'm terrible at that part <laughs> uh, well, well because a part of what we did was was rooted in history and lore yeah. history and lore is one path but then you have mm-hmm. magic divination herbalism necromancy and hedge witchery mm-hmm. right and we think uh, and this kind of then leads into some of the reasons behind the book where we wanted to take a stab at defining witchcraft for people mm-hmm. In, in a way, not 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 overshadowing anyone's understandings of witchcraft, but offer a definition 
you know, that is outside of religion, that is outside of those things. And yeah. clearing the coffee table. Clearing the coffee table. <laughs> yeah. right. So it's like, because, you know, magic is practiced in every religion, but not every practitioner of a religion refers to themselves as being it's witches. Yeah. Or lots of witchcraft. Lots yeah. of people do play with tarot cards and work with tarot cards or like horoscopes, but not everyone is a witch. A lot of, of people course. like to drink herbal teas, but that doesn't make them a witch either. Exactly. You know, yeah. like a lot of people yeah. practice the spiritualist religion, but that doesn't make mm. them a witch. They wouldn't call right. themselves witches. You know, so it's like it's when all these things are combined that I think we start to see an understanding of witchcraft begins to emerge as a practice. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And Chris, why is the order uh, important? Is this a kind of uh, of a hierarchy or or, or that's that ceremonial? (laughs) It's a ceremonial. Well, I relate to that. You know, that's why I'm because I I think because um. Because a part of the, the a part of what we have in in Black Tree being the Black Tree itself that that hex star, uh, the Axis Mundi, you have the four directions and then you have the below and the above. You know the three yeah. world motif. Sure. Well, the four directions is all the middle world. So that's all the foundational stuff, all the the, the tangible real world stuff. Mm-hmm. And you have and that is comprised of the history and lore, magic, divination, and hedge witchery or herbalism. Sorry about that. Right. History and lore, magic, divination, and herbalism. Yeah. yeah. So. When you begin to combine some of those elements that you'll find in those separate paths, you can then start to see necromantic practices, you know, in spirit work manifesting or traveling in trance work manifesting. Yeah. So the necromancy is the below, yeah, the hedge witchery sure. is the above. It's the above, yeah, yeah. Got, um, got you. Got you. Um, talking about hedge witchery, um, I'm sure that most of our listeners have heard the term, but I'm also sure that more than 50% don't know exactly what it is. And Mm -hmm. we here we have two people who can exactly tell them how you would define in a few words hedge witchery. A hedge is a fence. It's a border. It's a it's a delineation, and it says this place is here and this place is here. Um, Hedge witchery. Just to, to spin it down to its to its briefest essence is the practice of traveling between places. Um, to distill it down to its barest essence, it's the the art and the practice of crossing the hedge. Yes, <laughs> I mean, uh, of, of of travel and that, uh, of going to different and places. He- and that hedge is a metaphor between the worlds, between you know the physical and the yeah. astral, the yeah. physical and the spiritual. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can, can that below and above and the four elements of the here, so to speak, mm-hmm. uh, can that uh, be compared to the shamanistic three worlds, the underworld, our world, and the upper world? Um, there's there's connections to it there, I would think, mm-hmm. um, because we, we even, I mean, Chris likes to say three worlds. Um, uh, with, yeah, I like to look at it But that way, I tend honestly. to see as being infinite because there's worlds on the other side of the borders because there's right. a border for everything. And if there's a border, that means there's something on the other side. Um, <laughs> that's been a lot of arguments. Um, <laughs> and, oh, journey work. Oh, that's the ancestors. Um, but it's it's def- the three world motif is definitely there because we do very much focus on upper middle under mm-hmm. uh in the, yeah. in the practice yeah. so yeah. yeah yeah so there is a relation there uh, mm-hmm. this is fascinating we have now touched on quantum physics almost with the other <laughs> side. And at first i learned that hermes and herney were the same <laughs> you know, I have to meditate about that one. Um, um, now, the other topic I wanted to touch, and 
is Stang. You know, the Stang. And mm-hmm. the book is called Besen, Stang and Sword. It's almost easier to understand for a German speaker like me than maybe for a native English speaker, Besen and Stang. Because mm-hmm. Stange und der Besen, you know, it's, it's, that's very much Germanic words. Um, but I think the Stang is a very particular um, tool. Should I call it a tool? Yeah. Um, in that, in that, uh, in that practice, in your tradition. So, do you want to tell us a bit more about it? I mean, the stang is pretty much a forked staff. Um, it's reminiscent of the world tree. Uh, you can even I look at it like it's a very primitive form of pitchfork, mm-hmm. um, similar to you know broom being a broom or you know the besom being a broom. That it's it's a you know it's a tool, a household tool in a sense. Um, so, the, I mean, we use the stang to unite the worlds, you know, to right. erect a tree, uh, to, to bring the above and the below together. Mm-hmm. So, okay. that's, yeah, it's pretty, pretty, pretty simple explanation. Yeah. I mean, I, at least my explanation is very simple. About it. <laughs> yeah, no, well, it's, uh, good things are simple, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the chapters, I think it's one of the, the last, or even the last chapter of the book, um, is called the crooked path, right? Mm. We, you kind of start with it, if I remember well, when you enter the crooked path and so on, and then you bring it back in the last chapter. And there you say something about the crooked path being the balance between the right and left-handed paths, if I mm-hmm. remember well. And mm-hmm. I was fascinated by that definition because there is another one of my favorite questions, this balance between right and left hand. <laughs> uh, how much it is necessary or uh, uh, is it necessary, whatever, right? So mm-hmm. uh, what, what's your take on that? And maybe you can say a bit more about that that crooked path being that balance and how you sure. see that necessity of that balance and what it is mm-hmm. for you. Mm-hmm. Um, well, having, having too much of any type of personality uh, quirk, is not good. So mm-hmm. if you're either too good or too bad, you go into directions where it's impossible to live. Extremism too. Um, any, any type of extremism. So sure. when people get into uh, being light workers and that's all they do and they never yeah. acknowledge any type of shadow that a, yeah. that a person may have or any type of darkness that may be in their spirit, I feel it does the entirety of the the, I feel it does a disservice to the entirety of the human um, because there's multiple faces to every person so with one's practice there's and I I don't know who originally said this but it's something that gets uh, bandied around all the time in the pagan community and the witchcraft community is about a a witch who cannot harm cannot heal right and I think that says in a very succinct manner uh, the essence of that type of thing. You need to know how to be able to do both. Witchcraft doesn't have an, an inherent morality assigned to it. It's a tool. Yeah, when you look at it historically. Right. I mean, when you look at it 19th century, they, you get the whole harm none thing that people right. love to throw around. Right. Which then even doesn't apply to a Gardnerian practice necessarily mm-hmm. because even... But then you also have yeah. people who talk about how witchcraft, like the basis of the word and the and the uh, the original meanings of it was only malefic 
magic and a witch was something negative to be called, which is, I'm sure, something that was what was going on then, but it's now 2019 and words change yes. and mm-hmm. evolve and they still mean things, but they change. So witchcraft now means something different, um, but it, it doesn't have an assigned good nor evil to it. It's nature. Yeah. Um, it's, it's as amoral as a river or amoral as a gun. It's just, it's a, it's a tool. Um, knowing how to use it doesn't mean that you're automatically doing something good or bad. So the crooked path is essentially the, the gist of that type of thing. It's the journey that the witch goes on. Um, one of the things that I learned in voodoo is the phrase working with both hands. So you're working with your left hand and your right hand Mm -hmm. and the crooked path is also like that. Like you go back and forth. It's not that you're necessarily finding the line in between. It's that you're, you're literally meandering your way in between these two, Mm -hmm. uh, walls and and careening off of them when you get too far over the line, you know, um, and it's it's important to be like that. You can't go all the way in one direction. You'll fall apart. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, in another sense, there's no straight roads in life. No. You, yeah. you will meander. And when we look at the tree of life, for example, in the Kabbalah, you have the pillar mm-hmm. of mercy and the pillar of severity. You have the black and the white, the mm-hmm. ebb and the flow. Mm-hmm. When you travel up the tree of life, if you're not just going straight up the center, you go from left to right. Correct. You right. zigzag yeah. back yeah. and Absolutely. forth yeah. and back and forth. Yeah. That yeah. is a crooked yeah. path. Yeah. 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 No, absolutely true. I think this is a, a permanent truth in all spiritual work because, mm-hmm. as you said, Tara, the, um, and that's one of the main errors of certain, I wouldn't even call them traditions, certain practices, mm-hmm. that they only accept one side being one or the other, but yeah. they only see that one side and necessarily that can't in the end go well mm-hmm. um, in no way. Um, yeah, absolutely. But I find it very interesting that you explain it with the crooked path. And also, it's like a parenthesis around the whole book because you start with it and you end with it. That's why I find it fascinating. Mm-hmm. And um, what I very much like about the book, and that's also part of that first part with the crooked path, you immediately give the reader practice. You know, it's it's mm. it's not it's not a book where you start with twenty pages of or twenty. What do I say? Twenty two hundred pages of, <laughs> of of theory and why we are all here and read that book. And mm-hmm. then in the end, you're allowed to do two meditations. Um, it's it's right from the beginning. It gives you something to do and to experience and to practice. Mm-hmm. Um, I find that I find it a very interesting approach. Uh, was that I, I'm sure that was your intention to to do a? Is it for you a book that people should use for practice? For how should that book be used in your opinion? The book is definitely good for a beginner, but it's also good for a seasoned practitioner because it's a. We look at it as a gateway book. You can you can use it to get an understanding of witchcraft. You can get it to add a layer of animism to your practice, or you can use it to learn. You can use it in its entirety to learn about Black Tree and to get a whole new approach to working witchcraft. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that a lot of us have had to deal with growing up and getting involved in modern witchcraft is having to go through the gateway that is Wicca. 
and there's nothing wrong with Wicca, but there was nothing else out there that people could access that people could use to get into practicing witchcraft without first going through all the traps that you'll find in Wicca, you know, the religion, mm-hmm. the spirituality, the deities, the, the the submitting to another religious tradition when so many of us have left a religious tradition to yeah. come to mm-hmm. where we're yeah. at. So it's like, oh, I got to adopt this other religion here. It's like we're giving with Besamstang and Sword, we're giving those people another way in. A non-religious yeah. practice. A non-religious, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Very important point you're making here, I think, because mm-hmm. I think that's that's part of the problem in not only in witchcraft, but that's part of the problem also, I don't know if you would agree, uh, Chris, in ceremonial magic, that mm-hmm. many of those practices, they make you feel like you've left one church in order to enter another one. Yeah. 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 And that's, that's for many people, me not being the, light, the last, uh, um, was at the beginning a real problem. Yeah, that was a problem for me too. You know, mm-hmm. at, at some point, I, at some point, before I got to where we're now, where we're at now, I was beginning to get more and more into Crowley's work, and I started to learn. I think it was the Star Ruby. It's like let's, I'm going to start doing the Star Ruby more regularly, mm-hmm. and which I, if I'm getting the name wrong, I this is years ago, but I'm like, okay, the Star Ruby. If I'm it. If I'm using the wrong term for anyone listening, you know the ritual I'm talking about. Yeah, I might, I might be using the wrong name, <laughs> but it's just Crowley's version of the LBRP. And yeah. it has all these other elements in it that are from Crowley's symbology. And I'm thinking, why am I adopting someone else's <laughs> symbology? Yeah. Why yeah. do I have to make these things matter to me? Mm-hmm. What matters to me and how can I use that for, in a practice? And yeah. There was that kind of that seed, that impetus that also kind of led into what we're doing now. So yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, yeah, it's all a part of that. Lightning once again. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's all it's all a part of that grass is greener on the other side kind of thing. That people uh, kind don't of. look to themselves; they have yep. to look to some kind of guru or other system because that's where the truth is. That's exactly. where the thing that matters is. It's over yeah. there. It's not yeah. in me. It's not around me. It can't be yeah. here. I'm worthless. I have to go to somebody else. For and then it. there's also there's people who want to practice within witchcraft and not deal with the god and goddess, mm-hmm. yeah. which is so yeah, prevalent. Sure. Sure. Um, even in traditions who say, oh, we're not Wicca, and then they bust out, you know, a circle and a god and a goddess, and, and today they we're, celebrate we're the eight Sabbaths. And it's like, right, wait, what, and wait, it's like, why, wait, no, you're Wicca. Pra- Just why? say that you're Wicca. Um, <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. So with like our stuff, it's you can be any religion and practice yeah. witchcraft in the way that we're saying we can do it. I mean, one, one of our coven members is Catholic, yeah, yeah, sure, so sure. Well, why not why not yeah why not? it's yeah. as long as you're yeah. able to work within what we're talking about and be comfortable with us talking about the devil yeah then exactly, exactly. all you know all in all in exactly but mm-hmm. and on the other hand and there is a framework and because not to anyone who rejects the the, the structure and the and the deity and and what you were just mentioning, Chris would like immediately to jump into chaos, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 people, some people are in between and want a framework, and I very much feel that framework in your in your black tree uh, um, uh, tradition here because it's it is it is it gives you 
a path to follow, but you still have to follow your own path. You still have to do your own work. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and exactly. it's we've been getting a lot of really good feedback from people in, in that type of direction where mm -hmm. they're like, oh, my God, I wish I found this book when I was first starting out. And yeah. that's so crazy to hear. Yeah, it's, good. it's um, refreshing to hear. It's, it's refreshing to hear, yeah. but it's, yeah. it's, it's wild. That, yeah. that we produce this thing that people are like, I wish this was the first witchcraft book I yeah. found. I'm like, yeah. oh, my God. Well, yeah. <laughs> and, and, like, and like you're saying, Rudolph, a lot of the elements in the book are, are from us. Like we do everything yeah. that's in the book for the most part. Yeah. But they're there for those people who need the ritual space, who want that type of ritual, who – who want to work in a different framework, but for some reason still feel an affinity for this idea of a witch lord and a witch queen that yeah. aren't meant to be goddess or god figures by yeah. any means. Yeah. But they're yeah. it's it's a transitional thing. It's they're there if you want it, and they can not be there if you don't need it. Right. Yeah, exactly. If you don't need it, exactly, exactly. We are slowly coming to the end of our of our hour here together. Um, mm. But before we part, um, I'm sure you have some plans on your mind, some ideas in the back of your minds that uh, might be coming up over the next months or year. Um, mm -hmm. Anything you would like to share with our listeners to, to what, what's coming up in your, in your, in your lives? In our lives. <laughs> well, we're going to be at uh, Del Marva Pagan Pride mm -hmm. in April. In April. They, they, mm -hmm. they had to change their date when they did that. Um, we're mm -hmm. both going to be speaking at that and then also have a table there to like talk to people and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and then we were invited to Temple Fest Up in New Hampshire. New Hampshire and Which that's is associated in with the Temple of Temple Witchcraft and Christopher uh, Penzac. Christopher Penzac and mm -hmm. There's, there's a lot really of people awesome. who are going to be there that we're yeah. super excited yeah, to see. Yeah, it's really great to meet, and um, meet people and be a part of that. Yeah, yeah. and that's in... August. Yes. Um, but beyond that, um, we're just kind of putting putting some other words together on paper. <laughs> yeah, um, well, that's what we, I wanted to hear. <laughs> <laughs> we we have to give something to Judica by the end of the month. Uh, um, wiser, wiser. Yeah. But yeah, Ju yeah. Judica Illis is, is Judica our yeah. is our yeah, editor, yeah. so we mm -hmm. have to get something to Judica by the end of the month. Well, um, good. And then. We don't have like a contract or anything. We're just we're presenting things. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we're we're pretty excited about the projects that we are going yeah, to be good. talking. But um, in any case, also regarding the words on paper, as you put it so <laughs> so mystically, um, <laughs> maybe you just also keep me posted so that I can yes. keep our listeners posted because what I'm happy Definitely. about is that people follow up a bit and those shows also uh, mm -hmm. will be around for quite some time and are listened to also maybe in a year or two so it might be interesting for people to to be able to see what has happened ever since oh yeah, absolutely since. yeah yeah we'll definitely let you know Great. um and then we, we've got some more episodes of down at the crossroads that are currently sure. in production yeah. we have a backload that's going to be coming out you know yeah. bit by bit. very good um, very good so um uh, in any case on the on the show notes on the website for mm -hmm. this show there will be the link to your webpage and to the book and of course to down at the crossroads that that goes without saying sure Excellent. certainly thank you so thank much you. well it was lovely to have you both thank you for that nice talk i enjoyed it very much i'm sure so did our listeners yes, thanks thank for you, being Pam. here tara love magar and christopher rapello and well hopefully come back one other some other day to on this yes. show on yes. Soul Hermes. yes Definitely. we will talk thank soon. you so much for having us thank you 
It was really nice to talk to Tara and Chris. I hope you like listening too. This is all for today, friends and listeners. Thank you for tuning in. We are going to be back in a week already with another interview-only episode, and this one will bring Tobias Churton back to Thoth Hermes. You all enjoyed his interview about a year ago very much, his British humor and his deep knowledge. This time we will be speaking about the spiritual meaning of the 60s, a very interesting topic and a book on it that Tobias wrote. Looking forward to having you back again next time. For today, I'm telling you, take care, stay tuned, hear you soon.